We are smack dab in the midst of this study on how to win over worry. The first week we talked about verse 4 and the emphasis was on making the choice to rejoice. Then the following week was verse 5 and we talked about that there are just some things that we have to let go of. And then last week we talked about uh, verse 7 or verse 6. We talked about telling it to Jesus, just giving our cares, our worries, our burdens to Jesus in prayer. Our theme verse is verse 7. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And yet there are a couple of verses after that that also give us a step on how we can win in this battle with worry. Stress and pressure and anxiety. And I remind all of us this morning that if you're old enough to understand what I'm talking about today, you're old enough to at least acknowledge the fact that all of us in this room deal with stress, pressure, worry, and anxiety. It's something that occurs and happens to all of us. All of us face it. The temptation to worry is not the sin. But worrying is a sin. The anxiety and the, and the fretting and the fearing and living a life of fear, living the, a life where we're bogged down and burdened down with anxiety and pressure and strain. It's very interesting what we're about to read today because this verse, verse 8, has to do with our brains. It has to do with our minds. Now, I've heard preachers get up and say, talk about what if we could see inside of each other's mind right now. Now, can I go ahead and say this? I'm not so sure that would be very helpful to anybody in this room. (laughs) I don't think it would serve us any good at all if we were to see the thoughts of one another. We may not, and I'm not even necessarily talking about sinful thoughts. Just, you, we're all wired differently. We all have different thoughts and different, different ways of viewing life and circumstances and all kinds of things. And I'm not sure that if you could honestly, if the Lord would peel back this head and let you see my thoughts and my brain, or if they could be projected on the screen, I'm not sure you would understand all my thoughts to begin with. I think only the Lord does. (laughs) I'm not sure we'd understand yours completely because we're all unique and we're all different. And we all have different ways of looking at life and different ways of viewing stuff. There's actually a study and and really a term, and it's in the field of neuroscience. And it's, it's neuroplasticity. You're like, now, CP, what does that mean? It's brain plasticity. It's the brain's natural ability to reshape itself or remodel itself throughout life. It's cognitive training. Uh, The technical term is neurobics. You say, now preacher, that sounds like aerobics. Well, it literally is aerobics for the brain. It's also called brain fitness. In fact, Forbes magazine in October of 2016 said that this... This brain exercise market in America alone is worth now over $1 billion. That's just in the United States. 
Now, there's much debate as to whether or not brain training actually works from a neurological, clinical standpoint. But let me say this. From a biblical standpoint, from a practical standpoint, from a scriptural standpoint, we know it does because of the Lord's admonition here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. And I want you to see what the Bible says. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, now here's the command, think on these things. Think on these things. Let these things characterize and dominate your thought life. Sometimes young people hear messages on the power of the thought life. And I want to tell you this morning, it has nothing to do with age or what stage of life we're in. That God puts a high premium on our thought life. And so I want to talk to you this morning from the text, from the passage on train your brain. If we really are going to learn how to chill and live a life of victory over worry, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have to train our brain to follow the guidelines that the Lord has established right here. Now, I want you to notice, first of all, what I call the command. And it's very clear in the text. The command. Paul lays out these eight characteristics, things that should govern our thought life and be consistent and true about our thought life. And then he says, I want you to think on these things. This is not a suggestion. This is in the command mode. It's in what we call, it's a present imperative In other words, it's a command that I am to continually obey in my life. Now listen carefully. Why should we be concerned with this truth? Because, ladies and gentlemen, it is a command. You see, training our brain is an act and issue of simple obedience to God. It's not optional. It's not one of these things where God says, Well, I'll tell you what, it might be nice if... Or it could help your life if, no, God says, I'm commanding you to contemplate and think on these things, these eight characteristics. I want your your thought life to be characterized by these things. Don't allow anything in your thought life that's outside the realm of these eight characteristics. And I'm commanding that to you. And God says, if you choose not to do this, then you're stepping in the realm of disobedience. Now, wait a minute, preacher. You mean to tell me that these eight characteristics, this is what I'm to be thinking about and entertaining mentally and nothing outside of this realm? Well, that's what the Lord says. That I am to let my mind and 
cause my mind and contemplate, deliberately make the choice that my mind is going to be focused on these eight characteristics. Notice with me what I call the contemplation. This is how, how shall we approach this process? It, if this is a command, then how do we go about it? Well, the answer is found in the meaning of the word think there. It's, 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 it's in the Greek, it's legidomai. And it, it literally carries the idea of taking an inventory. Now, this room is filled with business people. When you understand that concept of taking an inventory of your stock or of, 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 of perhaps even looking at a ledger and going down the ledger or looking at what you have in the store and going through and marking off and uh, trying to figure out what, what item or object you need more of or, or, or what you have there or what you need to order. You're taking inventory. You're actually sitting down and you're contemplating and you're studying. You're analyzing. And I want you to understand this about this contemplation, this process, that training our brain implies intentional meditation. It's not haphazard. It's it's intentional. Where you deliberately, deliberately choose to think Along these guidelines right here. You make it the habit of your life. You make it something that's prioritized. And you give yourself to it. You're diligent. Now can I say this? Just as with any command in the Bible, we cannot do this in our own strength. We have to have the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God. But I want to tell you, God never commanded us to do anything that he didn't give us the power to do and to obey. And God wants us. You say, preacher, come on. I mean, how many people really live like this? That's not the issue and that's not the question. The question is, did God tell us to do it? And does God give us the power to do what he told us to do? And he does. And he says, I want you to understand how powerful your thoughts are. As a man thinks, so is he. And he says, I want you to train your brain through the power of the Holy Spirit of God to think on these things. So let's get down to the nitty gritty, as we like to say. We've seen the command, number one. Number two, we've seen the contemplation. Number three... Let's look at the characteristics. So what are these things? Now, they're divided in the text into eight different things. But just for the sake of what we're talking about today, I just want to keep them at four things, and they're very simple. At least they're simple to understand. First of all, uh, uh, what exactly should characterize our thoughts? See, here's what I want you to understand. Training our brain should be marked by God pleasing elements. In other words, if my thoughts are not pleasing to God, then I need to eliminate whatever that thought is that is not pleasing to the Lord. And he gives us a good gauge right here. Listen to what one writer, A.T. Robertson, he was a Greek scholar. And here's what he said about this passage and these characteristics. Listen carefully. He said they are pertinent now when so much filth is flaunted 
before the world in books, magazines, moving pictures under the name of realism. And then in parentheses, he wrote this, the slime of the gutter in the cesspool. Like, hey, preacher, I bet he said that last week. No, you know when he wrote these words? 1930. And he was talking about avoiding the cesspool in 1930. And he said, these commands are very pertinent right now because of all the filth that's out in this world. When they had black and white picture shows, comic books, and such garbage like that. (laughs) Now, are you still with me? Now, gang, look at me. If that was true in 1930, How much more true is it in 2018? Because in 1930, now, I never carry my phone, bring my phone into this auditorium. So I know just as sure as the world, some of you smart aleks are going to start sending me a text message right now about all kinds of crazy mess. All right, don't do it. Don't do it. If that was true then, and if it was true... the late A.D. 50s, whenever Paul penned this, or the early 60s. That's before the days of this. See, here's the deal. I don't have to go hunting for negativity and temptation and sin. Now, because of this, it hunts us. Isn't that true? It hunts us like never before. When he penned that in 1913 about the cesspool and about how needy this command was and how applicable these characteristics are, this is before the days of social media where all of us feel pressure now to compare ourselves with the ideal. That's before the days of Internet porn. That's before the days of when you can, you can at least on your device erase your history so that nobody knows. That's before text messaging. That's before websites. And here's what I'm saying. Listen to me. I'm, I'm not being a killjoy. I'm not being a, 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 a Debbie Downer on technology. But here's what I'm saying. You have to be dishonest if you sit here today and say that we're not tempted to violate this scriptural command. We are. On a grand scale, we are. Let's look at these characteristics. So he starts off and he says, I want your thought life, I want your thought life to be characterized by things that are pure. Pure. 
He mentions words like true. That means sincere. That means truthful. Truthful. Do you ever find yourself prone to entertain things that are not completely accurate and truthful? Can I go even a step further and say that that at times we're tempted to dwell on things that are not, not originating out of the voice of truth or from error or from doubt or from skepticism? Things that are true, true. Sometimes we allow things that are just even implied or things that we perceive that may may or may not be true, but we're not certain of. And we allow them to consume and to govern our thoughts. So he said, make sure it's true. He said, make sure it's honest. Now, the word honest is an old English word there. It literally means honorable, honorable, something worthy of honor. And if it's not worthy of honor, he said, then don't contemplate it. Don't consider it. Don't think about it. Don't let it occupy space in your brain. Then he moves on to the word just, and it means right and righteous. But in its context, it really implies in relationship to other people. Stop right there. So this word governs how we, how we think about somebody else. And the thoughts we have about somebody else, are they right thoughts? Are they righteous thoughts about somebody else? I'm talking about that that we choose to dwell on. That that, that, that we choose to allow to impact our minds. How's your thoughts? How are your thoughts about other people? Certain people. Is it based in truth? Is it based in truthfulness? Is it based in honor? Is it based or is it based in skepticism, criticism, divisiveness, suspicion? See, no wonder, no wonder some of us have a hard time getting along with other people and certain people because our minds are filled with nothing but suspicion about them. We can't just take something at face value. We have to read into it. We have to to yield to a negativity and a suspicion about certain people to build up our arguments against them. And let me tell you what the Lord says. He says that's wrong. That's a sin. If you ever in your mind have to formulate arguments against somebody else. God said that we violated this command right at the get-go. He says things that are pure. Pure, undefiled, chaste is literally what that word means. So obviously this would apply to anything that is unrighteously sensual. Anything of a sexual nature that is not legitimized by God and the only sexual thing legitimized by God is between a husband and a wife. Can I get an amen right there? So any sexual thought that we entertain 
that is not related, directly related to our spouse. God says, get it out. Avoid it. Shun it. Run from it. Flee it. So that takes pornography out of the picture. No pun intended. Hey, it takes flirting. Listen, flirting and saying suggestive things to someone that's not our wife or not our husband takes that out of play. Well, I mean, that's not, that's just, that's not a big deal, is it? God said it was a big deal. God said, "I'm listen, you want to flirt with somebody? You go flirt with your wife. You want to flirt with somebody? Flirt with your husband. That's who you ought to flirt with. You want to send messages to somebody? Pictures to somebody? You send it. Well, I don't even want to go there. But I'm getting ahead of myself here. All right, back up and punt. Here we go. (laughs) Press stop, erase. Okay. Y'all know what I'm talking about, though, right? Somebody say amen, though, right? Hey, hey, come on. That certainly would have uh, uh, implication in, uh, don't throw something at me, but if you do, that's fine, because I'm, man, I want to be preaching the truth about music that we listen to that isn't wholesome. You know, it's true. Music affects your mood. It affects your spirit. That's why uh, the other night when those boys in that NBA game that wasn't really even a game beforehand when they were warming up and they had their earbuds in and they're, you know, shooting. I, I don't know how to do it. I couldn't shoot and make baskets without earbuds. But they're, you know, they're shooting, making baskets with earbuds in and they're warming up and all that and they're getting jacked and hyped and all that. I guarantee you, they ain't listening to Beethoven's Fifth. Right? No, no, they're not. You know why? Because music affects our spirit. That's why you get in a rage you get in a rage. That's why when a young person gets mad and they get mad at their parents or they get mad at teachers or whatever and there's a big blow up at home and they, they, they stomp off and they go in their bedroom and they want to slam their door and they want to put their earbuds in and they want to go to their music. What do they go to? They go to something that, that encourages their anger, right? Encourages their rage. They ain't putting in amazing grace. Right? <laughs> because music affects our mood. What kind of music you listening to? You're like, this ain't teen conference. Come on, get off of that. If it's good for the 16-year-old, it's good for 46-year-olds. See, we joke about it. We joke about it. 
But it's as important the kind of music I listen to as it is the kind of music my teenage boy listens to. Why, why, if, if when I got right with the Lord as a teenager and God convicted me as a teenager of certain kinds of music, now just hang with me now, why, why would I want to, now that I'm an adult, now that I'm older, why would I want to even go to their concerts? See, spiritual maturity, listen, spiritual maturity doesn't mean that I'm mature enough now to handle sin. Does that make sense? So we have to be careful. What are you taking in as a steady diet through your ears, through your eyes? See, there are some shows, and there are a lot of them. And by the way, if Aaron or Christian Powell had to sit down and tell you what is on primetime TV with the three, five, four channels or whatever, ABC, Fox, CBS, NBC, we couldn't tell you. And that, that ain't because I'm so holy. No, that, that's not it at all. We just, now, you know, 20 years ago we could tell you probably, but we can't tell you now. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's on. I don't. All right? Not on those. T- I, I don't know. So I'm not, I'm not picking on your favorite show. Please know that. I don't have anything in mind. I'm just saying. Let the Holy Spirit, let the Holy Spirit help all of us today. And let's just be honest. And let Him guide and govern our thoughts. And let Him help us evaluate what we're watching. Is it okay if I say that? Because what we watch affects our brain, people. It changes how we think about things. That's why pornography is so destructive. Because it literally rewires a man or a woman's brain. and How they view something. That's why if we watch shows and movies with just... Filth and profanity, one right after the other, it will affect our thoughts. There's some of you men and women in this room that in the last several days or months or weeks or whatever, you have found yourself either right on the verge of cussing or you have flat out cussed and it even surprised you. And you may think, man, gracious day, where did that come from? Can I, can I try to help you? Will you go back and look at what you've been watching? What you've been listening to? You say, are you trying to be the TV police? No. No. Look at me. Please no. That's not. You see, I don't have to be the police. Let the Holy Spirit of God be your police. I guarantee you he'll do a whole lot better job than I will. It impacts so much. It's 
said, let your thoughts, let your thoughts be characterized by things that are pure. Then he said, now this hits me right in the head. Things that are positive. We all have different personalities. Some personalities are more naturally have a proclivity to settle on the negative. I know that. And this affects us right here. He said, I want things that are positive. He uses the word lovely. That literally means pleasing. He uses the word, the words of good report. You know what that means? That means literally attractive. If it's appealing, if it's attractive, if it's positive. Drive away the negativity. Drive away that, that, that tendency to just dwell in the pit. We can dwell in the pit about other people. We can dwell in the pit about circumstances. And we can see the glass never as half full, always as half empty. I get convicted when I study the life of the Lord Jesus in his spirit. (laughs) You know how I believe Jesus was a positive, exuded positivity? Because little kids wanted to be around him. Brother Cordell used to say, you beware of a man when little children and dogs don't want to have anything to do with him. (laughs) There's a lot of truth to that though, isn't there? Why is it, why is it that for some of us, we're so quick just to take it to the negative? Oh, man, it was great. Oh, it's so good. I'll tell you what, it was great. And then here comes, here comes Neil the negative. Well, yeah, it was, but I'll tell you what, didn't y'all notice this right here? I mean, that what. Y'all remember, y'all remember about 15 years ago, Preacher Patrick on a Sunday morning, it was in the summertime, and he preached a sermon about the black dot. Anybody remember that? Remember he held up the big white poster board, and all over, one little dinky black dot on that poster board. And he said, you know what, you know what, what do you, he held it up and said, what do you see? All through the congregation. A black dot. Remember? And he's like, no, that's a white poster board. It just happens to have a black dot on it. Pure, positive. And I like this next word, productive. Things that are virtuous, that word means ethical or excellent. It's a word used by the ancients for any mental excellence or moral quality. In other words, are your thoughts productive for you? Is it helping you? 
Is it strengthening you? Is that thought? Is it making you better? Is it making you more loving? Is it making you more kind? Is it making you more Christ-like? Is it pure? Is it positive? Is it productive? And then he closes out with this. Is it praiseworthy? If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. In other words, can Jesus, here it is now, can Jesus look at your thought and say, that's good. That's good. That's a good thought right there. Keep thinking on that. Let me give you a takeaway. And we're going to pray. What's the takeaway, preacher? First of all, be a discerning thinker. You see, not every thought that enters your mind deserves an audience. Did you hear what I said? You don't have to entertain every single thing that comes across your eyes or your ears. There are some things not worthy. And if it ain't worthy, chunk it. Move on. And God said, I'm going to give you the power to move on. Deliberately choose to move on. Stop getting bogged down in thoughts that are not worthy of Jesus. And that don't have any place in your mind. Number two, don't sabotage your own wholeness or holiness through your thoughts. That's why I say again, carefully guard against conversations, shows, ads, movies, articles, blog posts, music, videos, social media sites. And can I go a step further and say even maybe some other people's social media accounts? That every time you look on it, you get riled up and fired up and ticked off? Can we help each other this morning? There are some people you don't need to look at their social media account if it bothers you. Quit! Unfollow them! It ain't cause they're ungodly, unrighteous, or whatever, not necessarily. But if their life and their posts bother you, why do you do that to yourself? Quit. Have some discernment, yo. Get off of that. Let me give you a practical thought. Go to a website called Plugged In, seriously, and read the evaluations it gives on movies, shows, music, video games, books. Seriously, it'll do you a world of good, and it'll help you have a dab of discernment about you before you click on that, or before you watch that, or before you let your youngins do this or that. And I'm not talking about being legalistic, but it gives some good, helpful evaluations of each movie, each show, each video game. Next. 
very early in your day, set the right tone. You say, what's the right tone? Well, the right tone is set by scripture, prayer, meditation, scriptural music. Typing Bible verses out, journaling, writing something on a postcard and putting it where you can see it. Sending yourself a reminder that will pop up on your phone or your tablet in the day and it's a verse of scripture, it's a good thought, it'll help you. That's called setting the tone in your mind very early in your day. Because I promise you this, how you set the tone or how you don't set the tone will determine what happens up here all day long. And finally, if you find yourself in a mental pit, climb out. Get out. See, Jesus has given you the rope, and he's put the ladder down to you. Get out of that pit. And don't jump back in it. Lord, I have a tendency, Lord, I feel prone to negativity. I feel prone to being melancholy today. I feel prone to be negative. Lord, I feel this dark cloud coming. I feel this sexual urge and temptation, this lust. I'm afraid I'm going to battle it. All right, Lord, help me, help me. So Jesus gives you the power. He gives you the grace to get out of it. Praise God. Don't jump back in it five minutes later. Stay out of the pit. Here's the deal. Some of us, some of us, it's like we are so comfortable down in the pit that that's the only thing that makes us happy. Get out of that sucker. God didn't design you to live down there. Get out of that pit. And you march on in victory in the name of Jesus.